Well, I don't know how to feel about this uh, Speaker of the House thing, because on the one hand, I did call this yesterday. Don Cooper, did I call this yesterday? You definitely called it yesterday. I forget exactly what I said, but I think I said something along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, he'd be a good choice, and uh, I like him. We were talking yesterday about how uh, one of the problems the Republicans uh, might run into is that they might start to chew through their future stars and ruin them with this clown car thing of of, uh, choosing a speaker. And and Mike Johnson's name was in the mix yesterday, the congressman from Louisiana, who is now the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Congratulations. And and I like him. I've, I've followed his career since he came into the House. I think we might have even had him on in 2016 when we were at the GOP convention. But anyway, um, if you've missed the news, if you've been in and out today, uh, the House has elected uh, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana as the Speaker. And um, so on the one hand, I like this guy, and I like this choice. On the other hand, I did say that I thought they were going to muck it up and never fix it, and maybe maybe I was wrong about that because, I, you know what, I think I think this guy's an upgrade. I think this guy's an upgrade. Uh, now, let me just put a caveat on all of this. They could still screw this up because he's going he's gonna to now, you know, of course, gavel the House to business. They're going to have to make some hard decisions. They're going to have to do some hard votes. They're doing the easy one right now, which is the vote on resolution about Israel. But uh, they're going to do some hard votes. And, and for all we know, the Republicans will... will Turn on this guy and and throw him out too, or Matt Gates will decide he doesn't like the way Mike Johnson looked at him, or you know who who knows. But um, Johnson is a guy that um, only people that really follow politics really know very much about. Uh, he hasn't been in the Congress very long. I think he got in in 2014 or 2016. He's not as young as he looks, but he is young. He's 51. Um, he was the vice chairman of the conference, so he had the number two job in the, or I guess that's the number, like the number four job in the House leadership, but it's the number two job in the conference. He had, um, if memory serves, he was one of Trump's impeachment managers, you know, defense managers in the House. Um and he's just he's a very smart guy. When you talk to people about him or you hear people talk about him, they'll say that he's almost kind of a nerd. He's very, very smart. He's a lawyer. He uh was a college athlete. He's in great shape. He's a fitness buff. He but he's very smart and like very serious. Like he he's just very into the the details of making policy. And he he doesn't come off as a brash talking High, per, you know, high-profile personality uh, kind of guy, but apparently people people in the house really like him, and I think it was a combination of him and they realized they could not muff this up again. They had they had to get this done. Uh, I think that kind of worked in his favor too. Not to take anything away from him, but I think the, the the clock had just run out on this on this game they were playing. So uh, I would uh, I would say this turned out well against all odds and um, probably um, better than some of these politicians in the Republican Party deserve. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a, I think this is an upgrade. I think this is a good guy. And um, 
I would also say this. I, I thought when I, when I was following his political career, um, he always seemed like somebody to me that should run for president eventually. So I didn't necessarily think the speaker thing was where he was going, but um, I don't know. I think he's a leader. I think he's a future guy for the Republicans and for conservatives. Um, and the, everything I know so far and, and have known is about him has been positive. So 210 599 I saw, I know we're talking about polls a lot lately, and I, I don't want to get into a rut on that, but this was a survey done in New York State by Siena College, and they're very well known for their polling. And they were asking New Yorkers about um, the immigration crisis up there. And 84% say their state is in uh, a crisis. 84% of New Yorkers are freaked out about the the illegal immigrant uh, crisis as a result of being a sanctuary city in a sanctuary state. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how it is in 100%, but 84% is very high in a blue state that is a sanctuary state. And you, you probably have seen a headline here and there, but I will just tell you from talking to people up there, um, it is changing the political landscape. It is, it, is, it is moving people away from the Dems and Biden. In fact, in this poll, Biden is only ahead of Trump by, um, where is it here? Oh, nine points. That's not very much in New York State. Biden should be beating Trump like two to one in New York State. Um, So anyway, I don't know that New York will stop being a blue state, but I think there will be some blue places that will surprise us because of this, uh, because they're having to confront the reality of sanctuary cities and an open border. So I think that's interesting. I also read today that um, the Chancellor of Germany has announced uh, that they are going to have to do mass deportations of illegal immigrants in Germany. And he told their leading newspaper that the straw that broke the camel's back for Germany was the Hamas attack on Israel. Um, And uh, he was asked if he had told Netanyahu to go easy and remember to be humanitarian in his response, and he told the paper, uh, there's no disagreement on this issue. Israel doesn't need warnings from German politicians. So he's telling Israel, go ahead and do what you need to do, and what we need to do is get these uh, crazies in our streets out of this country. He said, um, the acts we're seeing are reprehensible, We've committed ourselves to never again. We must decisively stand up to all those who chant anti-Semitic slogans, burn the Israeli flag, celebrate the death of those killed in the Hamas terror attack. Um, And he says um, he was asked about people who've come into his country who hate uh, Jews. Again, this is the chancellor of Germany, okay? So think about what you're hearing here. Um, And he says that they're going to start stepping up deportations. They've already identified where they can send them and who needs to go. I want to play this for you. This is, um, this is really disturbing audio, but this is a, uh, a phone call, a recording of a phone call made by a um, terrorist, a Hamas terrorist, who sounds very young. And this is on October 7th, and he has taken the phone of a Jewish woman 
and he is calling his parents to tell them about what he has just done. So he's checking in on the home front with mom and dad, and he's telling them, I want you to listen to his voice, he's telling them, Dad, be proud of me. Be proud of me, Dad. And he's, he's bragging to them about what he has just participated in. He says, hi, Dad. I'm talking to you from, and he names the town. Open my WhatsApp, and you'll see all those killed. He's saying, look at how many I killed, Dad. He says, Dad, I'm talking to you from a Jewish woman's phone. I took it from her. I killed her, and I killed her husband. I killed ten with my own hands. Dad, I killed ten with my own hands. He's telling his dad to open his WhatsApp on his phone so he can see what he's done. Dad, I killed ten, he says again. Their blood is on their hands. Mom, put me on. And his mom says, oh, my son, God bless you. And the boy says, I swear, ten with my own hands. I killed ten with my own hands. And it goes on like that. Paul Harvey had an expression he used to use on his commentary. He used to say, it's not one world. And it's not. Um, When you hear this, you realize what Israel is up against. Uh, They're talking about going in and having an operation against Hamas. They're talking about uh, removing Hamas leaders and uh, degrading or eliminating Hamas's ability to launch attacks. But Hamas is a symptom. Okay, Hamas is the, the, the part of the iceberg that's above the ocean. The problem we have here is a, a, an incredibly sick culture that is excited about exterminating people. This isn't some high-up official. This isn't some um, hired killer. This sounds like a kid who is calling, and forgive me for making this comparison, but it's like you would call your parents to say you had a good game. You know, I, I, I ran for two touchdowns, or I, you know, I won my relay, or I, it, 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 there's just this pride and this excitement. And what you're, what you're looking at here and what you're listening to here is a culture not just a handful of terrorists or fighters or whatever we're calling them. But you hear the excitement in his voice. You realize this is gonna this is gonna be very difficult to deal with. You know, that you can set limited objectives and you can achieve those objectives, uh, but then you're gonna have this still there. And I was thinking about this in terms of culture with those uh, two kids that ran over the guy in Las Vegas. They were driving along, and they mowed down the guy with their car, and it was captured on the dash cam. And I don't know if you've seen the stories. They've been in the news uh, today because they were in court again, and they were laughing with each other and joking around, and they were shooting the finger to his widow. And they're, they're yes, I know it's bravado, and it's putting up a front and all that, but... um. You look at that kind of sickness, 
and depravity, and you realize it's it's beyond. Uh, you can't reach those people anymore. Like there probably like there probably isn't any punishment for those two that will mean anything, that will change anything or mean anything. They're lost. It's they're, they're, there's nothing in them. But they're just two kids in our country. This culture that the Israelis are confronting that has been allowed to fester, that everybody has made excuses for, and and many in our country are still making excuses for, and mislabeling and trying to to, uh, uh, reduce to victimhood. Uh, This is an entire culture of people like those two kids in Las Vegas. And... um, and so there's a lot of speculation today about what Israel is going to do and when they're going to do it. And I find it so interesting that people are expressing concern about whether Israel is going to violate human rights. Because I don't know about you, but um, historically, when you respond to something like this, you're not restraining yourself. So if they if they do show restraint or if they are showing restraint that would be exceptional. But if you look at history um it's it's not restraint. And and what are their what, what is the slogan from the river to the sea, right? That's not restraint. What is the goal? Extermination. That's not restraint. I'm not saying the two wrongs make a right. What I'm saying is that you can't respond to something this sick and this depraved and this lost in a way that will make sense to you and me because you're not dealing with people like you and me. And it also tells me that if if a sickness is a, if, if a sick society or a sick culture is allowed to continue that way, look what it turns into. Mom, Dad, guess what? How far away are we from that, really? When you look at what's happening, like on the college campuses, how far away from that are we? Would you say two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five? So I want to kick that around in the speaker thing, um, and we're going to talk about that uh, that case in Las Vegas as well. And we got a lot of other things in the news today. Obviously, it's a really busy day. I'll tell you an interesting story about Mike Johnson. Um, he was uh, born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana, and his father was a firefighter. And one night they had a very bad fire that injured a number of firefighters uh, and killed Mike's dad's best friend on the force, a firefighter named Percy Johnson. And Percy Johnson, uh, so Mike, Mike Johnson's dad was injured. Percy Johnson died. Percy Johnson was the first black captain in the history of the department. And Mike's father created a foundation, which still exists today, uh, called the Percy Johnson Burn Foundation, um, which raises money for uh, firefighters and their families and um, honors this fallen uh, firefighter in Shreveport. Uh, Mike Johnson probably had one thing going for him more than anything else in this, and that is that, as we talked about yesterday, um, 
the, Trump is the is, is and wants to be the leader of the Republican Party, and he likes Mike Johnson, and he signaled that Mike Johnson would be a good choice. So I, I think in addition to Johnson's attributes, which I happen to admire, and in addition to the fact that I think they realized they couldn't fail again, it, it probably also helped that they knew uh, they had his support. Because if they had chosen somebody that he didn't like and they were on the path to doing that, uh, he, he was just going to obviously stir that pot. So I hope they get things done, and I hope he's successful, and I think he's a good conservative leader. I'm happy to see him do well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in a couple of things with this. As, as everybody's awaiting the other shoe to drop uh, in Gaza with Israel, first of all, does it, does it feel to you like possibly all of this is a trap? I mean, the Israelis haven't really responded yet. They've they've done some airstrikes, but they haven't gone in yet. And there's a lot of speculation about why they haven't and when they will and are they waiting and are we holding them up or something else holding them up and what are they going to what are they going to encounter when they go in? But here's why I, I'm 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 sensing a trap. All this talk about atrocities and proportionality and all these pre warnings to the Israelis that they you know, had better not uh, go overboard uh, or be, uh, you know, too too aggressive or violate the laws of war. As people keep talking about the laws of war, like everybody observes the laws of war. I, I, I get the feeling what we're being set up for is that the first time Israel does something that is extremely effective, and that results in a massive leveling of an area or clearing of an area, and there's a high casualty count, which there will be, what they're going to do is going to require a lot of casualties. I think we're being set up. They're being set up, and we're being set up. Everybody is pre, you know, sort of setting the table for, well, we warned them not to, uh, you know, do this, and we warned them to show restraint, and now they're running the risk of losing our support and our aid because of what they did and how they did it. That's what this feels like to me. What's the expression, damned if you do, damned if you don't? I mean, that's what it feels like. The other thing that's interesting to me is Israel is being warned as if they are the moral equivalent of Hamas. As if we expect that if we didn't warn them, and all the world leaders didn't warn them, and the UN didn't warn them, why they would just go and do exactly what Hamas did on October 7th. They're just like them. That's the other sort of trap or preset here. Well, we have to, we have to lecture them. We have to tell them how to go in and how to do it because otherwise they'll run rampant. Like I have no idea what's going to happen. But I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a fair assumption. I don't think that's an assumption you can you can make based on prior performance. I I remember when people used to say about the Israelis, well they really know what they're doing when it comes to terrorism. Remember that? Remember years ago, people would say, we can, we can learn from the Israelis. They're very effective. They really know what, how to respond. And um, for a small country, they're, they're, they're highly effective, both militarily and 
uh, you know, in terms of like uh, shadow ops and all that stuff. Remember how they went out and they got all the guys that did the Munich uh, terrorism, the Munich Olympic terrorism in 72? We've gone from paying them that compliment, boy, they really know their stuff, to every world leader, every two-bit Western politician is lecturing them on uh, what to do and how to do it. By the way, would you take a lecture, if you were Netanyahu, would you want to be lectured by the president that left behind $80 billion worth of equipment in Afghanistan and his own people? Would you want to be lectured to by the country that, that has hostages everywhere Biden has exited? Would you want to have a lecture from Biden? Or how about Tony Blinken? Would he be a guy that you'd want to seek the counsel of before you defend your country? Are these people you would you would even be able to keep a straight face, take seriously? I mean, it. it, it I, I don't know how to. I don't know how else to think of it. It would almost be laughable if it wasn't such a serious uh, situation. What do you think about that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I, I guess what I'm saying is um, based on our recent track record in Afghanistan and Iraq based on our highly publicized and frequently proclaimed belief that you can fight limited war and you should go into a country with a small footprint remember all that stuff we we, we got to have and the, the the Powell doctrine and all this stuff i don't know would would you if you were israel would you think these are people we need to listen to now i'm not naive i know why they have to listen it's not because our advice is good it's because we actually have them on a bit of a leash i mean we we kind of have them right by the uh, financial leash, if you will. So I'm not, I'm not saying they can blow it off, but it must be hard to take counsel and nod and stroke your chin and go, yes, thank you for your ideas and suggestions. We'll definitely take that under advisement. Oh, my gosh. These people. You might remember this case from the summertime. This uh, retired gentleman who had actually been a police chief at one time uh, named Andreas Prost, went out for a morning bike ride. And um, a- a- anyone who, you know, r- rides a bike knows that there is a risk of accidentally getting hit by a car, but what happened to him was not accidental. Uh, two teenagers, uh, 18 and 16, who had stolen a car and were joyriding around and had already hit a couple of other things, uh, deliberately ran him down. They live-streamed the whole attack and the video i've not seen the whole video but the people who have say um he flips over the car he lands in the street his blood is spattered across the windshield of the car and he was killed uh from this attack so it was the second person they had hit it was the third thing they had hit all intentionally and um, when they first went into court, it was a big news story, obviously. When they first went into court, um, the driver uh, predicted he'd be out of jail in no time, calling this juvenile-ish. It's not that serious, he said. They were in court yesterday, and uh, the antics started right away. They were uh, putting their hands over their face, trying to suppress their laughter, 
Uh, they were whispering to each other. They were sticking their middle finger. One of them was sticking his middle finger out at the widow and the family members of Andreas Prost. Uh, she called uh, the daughter uh, of the victim, called them entitled. I'm going to say the word. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the word. Entitled pricks, she called them. So this is just a game for them. They really have no remorse. That's true. They don't. Um, when I ask the question I'm about to ask, I don't. I am not referring to the criminal court system or the 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 prison system. There is really nothing you can do with these two. Is there? Like. I, I, whatever the maximum sentence is, they should get. But that isn't enough. It won't be enough. And it won't change them. They were lost a long time ago. They are, I, I mean, I, I've thought about this a lot, and I know some people will say, no, Jack, Jack, you're, you're, you're overreacting. They're, they're, they're scared. They're just putting up a front. This is what boys do. I was a boy. I, I, I remember that. But I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, and I think to say that is to not want to confront evil. So if you want to tell yourself, once they get in prison, that'll slap the swagger out of them, or that'll scare them straight, or whatever. If you want to believe that, you can believe that. I, I don't believe that. I, I think we're starting to see around the edges of our culture, depravity that is not repairable, fixable, redeemable. And again, I'm not, I am not talking about what the, the, the criminal justice system should give them. I'm saying I, I don't think you can reach people like this anymore. I think when you look at some of the stuff that's happening on the college campuses with the intentionally and disgustingly uh, brazen anti-Semitism and the reveling in hatred. I don't think these are redeemable people. I don't think these are people that will snap out of it and in 10 years they'll be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I was part of that or I ever did that. I'm so embarrassed. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't anybody like that. I'm saying some of these people will not be like that. They will never they they are they are lost. I mean they're walking around among us, the body is intact, there's nothing inside. And I don't know if you've heard about George Washington University. Um years ago I had an intern uh who went to George Washington University. It's in Washington, DC. It's a very prestigious school, or has been anyway. And I remember he was very, very he was a very impressive guy and he just loved that school. He loved going there, and he credited his attendance there. He was like it changed his life and opened up all these vistas. That, that's what I think of when I think of, of George Washington. Well, the other night, um, they had a um, protest in support of Hamas, and they projected these huge um, slogans onto the side of the school library. Um, so they were using like one of those projectors like people use for like Halloween decorations, you know, to project like bats and goblins and stuff. 
And this projected onto the side of the school library, Free Palestine from the River to the Sea. Uh, that was one of them. And there were a bunch of other uh, slogans. And the, the library is um, endowed by and has the names on it of a Jewish couple that are um, alumni. Estelle and Melvin Gelman. So they donated the library, and their name is on it. In fact, their name is right underneath where it says, Glory to our Martyrs, and uh, Drive Them into the Sea. Now, people are saying, is this First Amendment? Should the university reprimand them? I guess they got a ticket uh, from the campus police. I guess my question would be, what do you think of the souls of people like this? Because it's one thing to to have different opinions about Israel and policy and the 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 Palestinian state, and it's it's one it's it's one thing if you don't um, you don't like Israel or you don't even like uh, their what their apparent or potential response to this terrorist attack. I mean, those are all like policy things. Like like reasonable people can disagree about that. But um, you, you, you're picking a, a site, you're picking a facade, you're projecting messages that are exactly the slogans of this, basically this exterminate the Jews organization. Um. And there are Jewish students on that campus, I would assume, right? So who are these people, you know? I mean, I understand you can you can trace the money, and people have said it was George Soros money, and we can talk about what happens in the classrooms and indoctrination. But also at some point, I mean, let's be honest, that only takes us so far. Who paid for the light projector or... Who's doing the indoctrinating in the classroom only takes us so far. Then we're still left with the human thing about, like, what kind of human being is is doing this and celebrating this? I get what it takes to um, indoctrinate someone, but I also know that not everybody who hears that indoctrination has to turn into a Jew hater. So who, who are these people who did? Right, and if you don't think they, if you don't think they picked that wall with the Gelman's name on it, intentionally, uh, I would say you're very naive. So we talked yesterday or the day before about how this grew out of pulling down statues and pulling names off buildings, right, and. Maybe what we need to learn from this is that our restraint, our self-control, our patience, our endurance is maybe sending the wrong message. Like, maybe there's people who take that as we've cowed them, we've scared them. We can do anything. And then, of course, you've got the university itself. And I just have to point this out. 
How many times over the years have universities, including this one, and I looked it up, and they've had their share of these incidents as well, how many times over the years have universities disinvited or evicted guest speakers and guest scholars and authors and lecturers because they were going to express an opinion that would be hurtful or triggering to some of the students? And these universities issue these very strongly worded, no wiggle room, sort of absolutist disinvites. Right? We, we, we cannot have this on our campus. We refuse to allow hateful, hurtful, blah, 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 blah. Okay, wh- wh- where is that now? I don't ever want to hear that lecture again. I don't ever want to hear that rhetoric again. And one more thing, and then I promise I'll stop. Whoever the Gelmans were, they already gave their money, and the library's been built. looks like a beautiful building. If you are a Jewish American, and you are making any kind of a donation to a college or university, please stop. If you have any moral compass, if you have any feeling for the dignity of others, Don't give these organizations, these institutions, any more money. If you want to help a kid that wants to learn, get out of a bad situation or improve his his lot or or realize their dreams, give the money directly to them. Give the help directly to them. Let them have your generosity directly from your hand to theirs. But do not make any more donations. Do not endow any more seats, chairs, buildings, libraries, for God's sakes. This will never change until you cut off the money. And I think it will change very quickly if you do cut off the money. I don't think these people are are um, terribly deep. So their silence has been bought, and their objection could probably also be bought, if you know what I'm saying. Like, the light show would get shut down very quickly if the president of George Washington University thought it was going to cost her university some money they really wanted. But she apparently doesn't think that. She needs to know that, right? That needs to happen. We've talked about the uh, new Speaker of the House, Louisiana uh, Congressman Mike Johnson. Uh, We talked about the deportations uh, issue and how New Yorkers are turning against their their migrants, as they're called. Uh, Might as well just call them visitors, right? Uh, Israel, everybody's waiting to see what Israel's going to do, and Israel's getting all these warnings and lectures. Uh, Did any of these um, people that are warning Israel to watch their step, did any of these uh, leaders warn Hamas? Did any of them deliver any uh, lectures? prior to October 7th. It's not, it's not like we didn't know that they were terrorists and they wanted to kill Jews and attack Israel and had done so before. But I'm just curious, w- was anyone warning about war crimes and proportionality? 210-599-5555. Um, so we can talk about that, and, and I want to get to your calls on, on all of that. Um, Congressman Tony Gonzalez is going to join the show in our next half hour. We're going to find out a little bit more about this uh, vote for speaker and what's going to happen next in the House of Representatives. So he's with us and your calls. Um, we're, uh, of course, we're in the in the season for Rapping with Jack. So if you haven't yet helped us out and you 
feel you want to, if that feels right to you, I would I would urge you to go to KTSA.com. You can donate money to Family Service Association to help us provide a gift for each member of each family here in San Antonio that they serve. That's hundreds of families. So we're trying to raise the money for or the donation of thousands of gifts. And every year when we start out, it doesn't feel like we're going to be able to do it. And every year we come in just under the wire, but we, we need your help. There is literally not a, a dollar to spare or a willing heart to spare. So if it, if it appeals to you, if you're, if you're able to help us, all the details are at KTSA.com. You can donate money. You can buy off the Amazon wish list for Family Service Association, or you can actually shop yourself. You can pick things up in your travels and then donate them to our drop-off locations and sponsors, all of which are listed at KTSA.com. And that gets us to our big uh, annual rapid event, December 6th, at Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. But all the details are at KTSA.com for Rapping with Jack, presented by Quarter Moon Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, and in part by River City Oral Surgery, Copenhagen Imports, and Institute for Functional Health. Now, your calls. Congressman Gonzalez, more of today's Jack Riccardi show is all coming up. The morning after the 2012 election. I mean, these days my memory is shot, but I, I remember this morning... And uh, the 2012 election was Barack Obama running for a second term against Mitt Romney. And the polls had it very close. And, um, in fact, I, I, I believe that Mitt Romney could have won that election. I think history favored him winning that election. That was the election with the famous debate moment with Candy Crowley where... She, they were having the foreign policy debate. She was moderating it between Obama and Romney, and and uh, she jumped on something Romney said to quote unquote fact check it, which was very favorable to Obama, and also it turned out she was wrong. <laughs> Her fact check was not factual. But anyway, um, there was also the election you may remember in which about a month before the election. Mitt Romney was secretly recorded at a, I think it was a fundraising dinner, or it was like a private event for GOP donors. So it was a closed-door event, not open to the public or the press, but but somebody was recording it on their smartphone, and he uh, derided uh, the fact that Obama voters are people who, quote, don't take personal responsibility and care for their lives. So he said something off the cuff and candid, two things that Mitt Romney didn't have a lot of experience doing. And it wasn't really as shocking as the people who reported it made it out to be, but it was played up as a scandal, as a as a, oh my gosh, what a terrible, awful, hurtful, judgmental, racist, uh, elitist thing to say. And I remember we talked about it on the show at the time, and people, uh, first of all, I know it's hard to remember this, but there was a time when a lot of people were really pulling for Mitt Romney to defeat Barack Obama, and and I was one of them. And, you know, there were a lot of people saying, what is the big deal? I mean, that's just, you know, that's just an observation. Anyway, he's writing a book now called Romney, A Reckoning. 
And according to his book, Mitt Romney claims that that episode sent him into such a depression. Now, again, this is a month before the election. Give or take. Maybe it's a month and a half, but you know what I mean. It's about a month before the election. He says in the book that he could barely eat, he couldn't sleep, he was taking sleeping pills, he couldn't listen to music, he was sick at heart. When he tried to concentrate on briefing materials, his mind would drift toward the self-inflicted damage he had done to his campaign and to all the people he had failed. He would ride the elliptical bike at a punishing pace. Night after night he would scrawl in his private diary the words, stupid, stupid, stupid. Awful, shameful, sorrowful. How I have let so many down, he wrote. I'm overwhelmingly depressed, agonizing. I am so, so, so very sorry. He says in the book that he called his chief campaign strategist. Now again, this is him telling it. So is it true or not? Well, this is him telling it. He calls his campaign strategist and tells them, I'm going to drop out of the race a month before the election because he made a remark at a fundraiser disparaging Obama voters. Think about all the ground we've covered since then. But anyway, and his strategist told him, no, you, you're not pulling out. You can't. He, Romney was throwing names out there. We can get Chris Christie. We can get Rob Portman. No, no. This guy told him no. You're sticking it out and this video is not that big a deal. And if you do lose, it won't be because of the video. The reason I tell this story is because um, first of all, in the interest of full disclosure, I only ever endorsed one candidate ever in the history of this show and Mitt Romney was the one. So you should know that about me. That's on me. I own that. Um, but I, I think this illustrates not just something about Romney, but this illustrates the uh, kind of heart and soul of the people Republicans have been asked to follow for a long time. If you're a Republican, these are the people that have been leading you into battle. These are the people you have been asked to not only vote for and donate for, but pray for and pull for and hope for and pin your dreams on and 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 hope that 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 the, the country could be pulled out of you know have its head pulled out of its ass by people like this. These are the people that were promised you as the right man, a dude that falls apart a month and a half or a month before election day because he said something and was recorded and it didn't make him look good. What kind of a leader, what kind of a fighter is that? I, do, I still think he would have been a better president than Obama. But this is the kind of Republican that we the people don't need and have had way too many of. I'm not sure what he thinks telling this story says about him. Like, I'm sure I'm not taking it the way he intended it. <laughs> but um, that, I have no other way to take it. So, yeah, maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to say. 
and it was a self-inflicted wound. It was not the end of the world. It was not the end of a campaign. If, you're, if you'd be willing to stop fighting because the media had you on tape, how much of a fight are you really putting up? What kind of a fight are we really talking about, you know? I mean, honestly, what, what this might tell us more about him than all the other anecdotes and stories and speeches and endorsements that we've ever heard. And again, it's in his own words, so it, it isn't as if someone has spun this or some hater has twisted it around. This is him telling his own story. Probably to a ghostwriter, but you know. 210-599-5555. Oh, I thought this was interesting. We were talking about age gap relationships. Um, somebody sent me this. Patrick sent me this. Cher opening up about her relationship with her boyfriend, Alexander Edwards, who is 40 years her junior. Cher is 77. He's 37. He's a music executive. She says, sometimes I'm talking to him, and he has no idea who I'm talking about. The other day, I referenced Clark Gable. And um, he looked at me blankly and said I wasn't born yet. She says she often makes references he doesn't get. We can talk music. We can talk about everything. He's got a great sense of humor. We just get each other. But she says, yes, one of the things about an age gap relationship is uh, you make references. Um, That doesn't really bother me in an age gap relationship, probably because I make references on the show all the time that I figure people don't get, so. I'm used to it. Did she ask I'm him? I'm glad about, she has a sense of humor about it. What were you going to say? Did she ask him about Sonny Bono? <laughs> he would probably not know who that is. See, there you go. Yeah. He. Um, I wonder what his cutoff is. If he's 37, but his his knowledge of like you know music and movies pretty much goes back to what like the 90s. I mean, think about it. That that eliminates Sonny and Cher. That eliminates Cher's like '80s hits, Moonstruck. I mean, Mask. <laughs> Does he even know who Cher is? Or he just thinks she's a cool-looking lady. Somebody should tell him sometime. You know, she used to be a singer. Joining the show now on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is uh, United States Congressman Tony Gonzalez. Congressman, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me back on. So, uh, well, you sound kind of happy. And uh, do I hear a little relief in your voice, maybe? Man, it is all smiles here in D.C. <laughs> First off, we got a speaker for once. It's like riding a yeah. bike. We voted today. It's like riding a bike. Uh-huh. It's all good. But Spurs play tonight. We got Victor Wembiamba on ESPN. Yeah. The Rangers are in the World yeah. Series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. other than the border on fire and, you know, inflation yeah. through the roof and uh, the world. World uh, War III. Uh, yeah. Life's not too bad. <laughs> um, tell me about Mike Johnson. What's he like? He's a good, he's a good man. He's a good, he's a, he is a policy wonk. And I think that's what's going to unite this place more than anything. You know, a lot of the rhetoric for some people, it's, it's too much. For some people, it's not enough. But the policy is what keeps us all in line. So that's one thing about him. He's a very he's a man of faith. If you saw his speech today, faith leads his life. And what I love about him, uh, we had a conversation this morning. And what I love about him is he's a family man. 
and family is, 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 is very important to him. The conversation we had this morning, I go, look, my, my number one, my number two, and my number three priority is the border. And I'm, not, I'm talking meaningful things, real things. Not, it can't just be these fake bills that we put and don't go anywhere. And he agreed completely. Uh, he'll come to the border soon. It's a, certainly a priority. He agreed. He's like, he agreed it's a priority for him, too. Uh, I'm I'm just excited. This place is kind of uh, functioning a little bit again. I am a fan of his, um, and I, uh, I I do like him. Um, how much? So I I I say that before I ask you this sure. question. How, how much of a factor was um, the fact that Trump likes him and wasn't going to make trouble with his selection? How much of a factor do you think that was in getting unanimity? Well, look, Trump is Trump is a personality that uh, is a force to be reckoned with, whether you, whether you you like it or not. People pay attention to to what President Trump says and what President Trump does. I'd also say this: House members of the House are like feral cats. Um, so good luck influencing any of us. Like we're all going in our own little direction. So yes, people are paying attention, but it was less of what was happening outside the chamber. And more of everyone was like, okay, enough's enough. You know, how do we just all get behind somebody who's going to unite us in a way that I think is meaningful? And, and to me, that's the policy. The policy wins. Republicans have to go on the offensive again. We're, we're, enough with the defense. Enough with all the things that make us different. It's time for us to go, look how bad the Democrats are, and let's hold them accountable. Uh, we've been talking a lot this week about this memo that went out uh, CBP San Diego on Friday, uh, warning uh, of uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Islamic Jihad fighters encountered on the southern border. It was an internal document. Uh, what happened to see something, say something? Why aren't they sharing this loudly with the public? Jack, this is real. This is what should also unite us as Americans. I mean, the, the hell with the parties. You know, when a terrorist action hits, they just want to kill Americans. They don't care, you know, who you voted for or where you live or who you pray to. or They don't care about any of that. This is a very real threat. Uh, we saw what happened in Israel. It can happen at any moment. Um, it's a reason why myself and Senator Rubio, we, we put together a resolution that essentially anybody that promotes Hamas or any forest terrorist organization that's on a visa should get deported immediately. Now, doesn't that just make sense? But why the hell do we need a resolution for that? It's because you have all these terrorist sympathizers, and we got to call them out because this is a real threat. I mean, it's all fun and games until it's your town that, that has something happen to it. Sadly, we've had too many things happen in Texas. We don't want to have that happen again, but we have to hold DHS accountable. It's their job. It starts with them keeping our borders safe. Um. It was revealed uh, late yesterday, Congressman, uh, by the Pentagon, mm -hmm. that there were, um, I think, about two dozen or more U.S. personnel wounded in the drone attacks in Iraq and Syria. Why did it take so long to find out about that, and, and what are you going to do about that? I, I put in a call with General Brown. Uh, he's from San Antonio. We've got a good relationship. I'm going to circle back on him. It's been a busy day, but I'm going to circle back with him 
that's unacceptable. If we have, if, if American lives are in danger, whether they're uniform or otherwise, but if, especially if they're uniform, we have to know about it. Two weeks later, the two dozen people were injured. I mean, it, it's unacceptable. And what is happening? I spent 20 years in the military, as you know. What is happening is DOD is not being held accountable. They're just on this. They're on their own own program. It shouldn't be that way. And, it, it, and there's nothing partisan about this. But if Americans are, are, are injured or killed abroad, Congress should certainly know about it, and we should have action behind it. I mean, there's 100% that Iran was a part of this deal. So what are the repercussions for, for holding Iran responsible? You know, these empty rhetoric that you see this, the Secretary of State get up there and say, those are empty words. I mean, you, you tell me by – you show me how much you're going to hold them accountable. And, and I'm not talking war. I'm not talking launching cruise missiles. There's, there's non-kinetic things that we can immediately do to let them know, here's the deal. You mess with us, we're going we're gonna to take a finger. Well, I don't even think it's if. I mean, it doesn't seem like we're shooting straight with the American people about the fact that when this really blows up over there, when Israel starts moving in on the ground, there's almost certainly going to be attacks on American targets over there at least, if not here too. So are, are, are people being prepared for that? I don't think they are. No, I don't think they are either. And and it's not just one or two. I mean, we've got two air we got two aircraft carriers there. We've got several different destroyers there. Not to mention our ground presence uh, throughout the Middle East, not only in, in Iraq and Syria, but other places. I mean, there is real threats. Not to mention at home. I mean, you've got these you've got the, all these college kids essentially saying you know chanting these anti-American. Uh, rhetoric they're being you know this is organized this isn't a oh by the way they're just you know fighting for what they believe in they're they're protecting their first amendment rights this is organized jack and this is a part of the conversations i'd have i've had with dhs is to go here's the deal find these cells and let's get ahead of them don't wait until something happens whether it's abroad or or at home we have to do something about it i don't feel confident in where we're at but like i said i put in a call with the uh with the uh, uh, chief, uh, the uh, the uh, chief of staff of the uh, of armed services and uh, joint chief of staff, and so uh, I'm hoping to hear something back soon. Congressman, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for coming on with us today, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, Jack. Take care. All right, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. As we mentioned, uh, the House did elect, or the House Republicans did elect uh, unanimously. They got all their. People on one side, uh, Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson is the new Speaker of the House of Representatives, the 56th in American history. Here is some of what he said right after his election. Take a listen. This is an extraordinary team that has been assembled here to serve the American people. Steve Scalise represents so much in our home state of Louisiana. Uh, one of the things he, he truly represents is perseverance and hope. And as he was talking here just a moment ago, I was reminded of the scripture that says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. What we need in this country is more hope. The, the, the people have lost their faith in our institutions. The, 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 their faith is at an all-time low. And, and one of the reasons they've lost it is because the Congress, over the years, has not delivered for the American people well enough. We're in the majority right now. We've gone through a little bit of suffering. We've gone through a little bit of character building, and you know what it's produced? More strength, more perseverance, and a lot of hope. And that's what we're about to deliver to the American people. Yeah. We are going to speak, we're going to speak with 
clarity and conviction and consistency to the American people. We're going to tell them what we're for, what agenda we are pursuing, and why it is best for every American, why it will give them more liberty, opportunity, and security. We're going to speak to that clearly. We're going to act consistently, and we're going to exhibit two things here, trust and teamwork. And this group will deliver for the American people. I said it in the chamber, and I will say it here. We're going to govern well, and I think the people are going to be very pleased with those results. We're so grateful. I'm so grateful and so humbled to have gotten a unanimous vote on the floor by all of my colleagues here. Um, we went through a lot to get here, uh, but, but we are ready to govern, and that will begin right away. You've all heard me talk a lot today, and I'm not going to belabor the point because the sun is bright and it's too warm for the fall. But I'll say this. We're going to dispense with all the usual ceremonies and celebrations that traditionally follow a new speakership because we have no time for either one. The American people's business is too urgent in this moment. The hour is late. The crisis is great. In America, we hear you. And we are reporting again, as I said in there, to our duty stations. That will begin in just a few moments. This entire group is going to go back to the House floor, and we are going to pass our resolution in support of the nation of Israel, our closest ally in the Middle East. You're going to see an aggressive schedule in the days and weeks ahead. You're going to see Congress working as hard as it's ever worked, and we are going to deliver for the American people. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I want to thank you for being patient with us, and I promise you it'll be worth it. God bless you. God bless you. So that was the new Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson, uh, speaking earlier today, uh, talking with Nico LaHood. He's a longtime friend and guest of our show and former Bear County District Attorney, now an attorney in private practice. And, uh, Nico, good to have you. Good afternoon to you. Hey, Jack. Thank you for having me. The first thing I want to ask you about is this um, case out of Texas State University. Um, I mean, it's, it's a terrible, tragic uh, story. Uh, this week, a family uh, of a Texas State student uh, filed a civil lawsuit uh, over uh, something that happened. Uh, this happened two years ago. Austin Salyer was a student. He was lying in bed in his apartment. He was shot and killed um, by uh, a man next door named Gabriel Brown, who uh, claims to have done it accidentally, but who did not call police or ambulance uh, after firing a bullet through the wall. Um, A judge has sentenced Gabriel Brown to 90 days uh, in this case, and so the family has uh, reverted to a civil lawsuit. Um, Thoughts about this? Yeah, there's no way he was sentenced to just 90 days because I'm assuming he pled, from what I read, to criminal negligent homicide. Mm -hmm. So there's different charges. It could be murder if they believed it was intentional. It could be manslaughter if they felt that they could meet the reckless standard. And then criminal negligent homicide has a very specific standard that has to be met, but that's a third-degree felony versus a second-degree or a first-degree felony. So 90 90 days, it would be a condition of probation. I'm assuming they either filed for shock probation, meaning they get sentenced to a a, a time in prison, but then you file for shock probation within six months, and the judge can release you and put you on community supervision. Or community supervision, meaning probation was granted, and as a condition of that community supervision, a judge can assess up to six months in the county jail as a condition. So – so that, 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 
the time in, 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 in the jail, it has to be a condition of the probation. I guess I had read, you know more about this than I do, obviously. I had read that the minimum for a felony was 180 days, and the judge modified it to 90 that that would be that would be the maximum for a condition of probation. So, a criminal again, it depends on which a felony felony started two years to ten years on a third degree felony. So the minimum sentence you can get in prison, TDC, on a felony, third degree felony, is two years. A state jail felony would be six months to two years. So if you're saying the minimum is is the six months on a state jail felony, they'd have to mm-hmm. do something to do a lesser included charge. To get it underneath that, because the minimum is, is is the six months. If it was a state no. jail felony for plea bargain, like what would be the? But I guess I'm. You maybe you answered this, and I apologize if I just didn't understand it. it, it the family says they they want the 180. I mean, obviously they want they want more justice, but they understand this is what they're going to get. What what would what would cause the mod? Can you explain to me again what would cause the modification from the 180 to the 90? Well, I mean, I can't speak for the judge, but what could be presented is while the while the defendant is on bond, that either they did some, there was true repentance, doing classes, doing something, community service, really speaking to kids about you know, the, the about safety, gun safety, starting a nonprofit organization. I mean, there's a lot of things that a citizen that's accused of something as horrible as this can do yeah. to show either repentance or some type of rehabilitation, if that's appropriate. This is just negligence for sure, maybe even recklessness. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't charge manslaughter, but again, I don't know the specific facts and what the evidence that the prosecutor mm-hmm. was evaluating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the things I, I wonder about and I worry about is that if, if we go down a road where people think that the criminal justice system isn't responsive or fair or realistic, um, we go back to the days when people are waiting outside the the jailhouse, you know? I I mean, we go back to the days when when people start looking for vengeance for their family. Uh, And it just, it it seems like you have to, I know know there's no defending that, but there's also no denying that, right? Yeah, well, you you need to trust the justice system, I hope. What we want is a justice system that, that truly seeks justice. What does that mean? When people say, what do you do as a prosecutor? We ensure justice is, is, is achieved or done. Justice means to me, did we get it right? So when somebody deserves and it's appropriate to give them an opportunity to turn their life around, that should be done, right? So there should be a repentive and a restorative aspect, which there is, by the way, where that's what probation is, deferred adjudication, pretrial diversion, things of this nature. There's a, a, a redemptive side to the justice system. But then on the flip side mm-hmm. of it, when it is appropriate to have harsh penalties, when the sword that Lady Justice carries in her hand is needed, you need to trust that the system is going to seek that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, and the, that's why Lady Justice where carries the, the, the scales in her left hand. That's balancing it all out. And Lady Justice theoretically should not, she doesn't care and give a crap about the media, political correctness. Doesn't matter about this special interest group or that. Just what are the facts bear out and how does that comport with the law and what's the right thing to do in the end, not only for the complainant, the victim, but also the citizen accused. It's a hard balance, and that's why the scales are there. Everybody remembers that uh, case in Las Vegas of the two uh, young punks that ran down the guy with their car. He was actually the second guy they had hit with their car that morning, a car they had stolen, and how uh, 
they were having a good time with it. And and their first court appearance was incredibly brazen. They were in court again yesterday, laughing, laughing into their hands, uh, making the middle finger gesture at the widow of this uh, dead man. And, and I was saying, Nico, I, I, I don't know what the courts will do with them, but I almost feel like they are beyond, they look to me beyond the reach of anything we have available to us. Yeah, that that to me, first of all, if I was their lawyer, I'd probably come close to kicking their ass. That's number one. Number, number two, if I was the prosecutor, I, I would really seek a harsh punishment. That's a murder. In Texas, it's five to nine or life. My offer would be life, meaning that you're going to have to try this case, and if you want to get something less, then you're going to have to get it from the citizens of our community. That's appropriate too, especially when you have that type of what I call a reprobate, what Scripture calls it, a reprobate heart meaning a heart that's unredeemable. There's no repentance in that person. That's where Lady Justice uses that sword. When that's appropriate, when you have that type of brazen disrespect for human life and intentionality, because I saw the video too, and it's, it's horrific, in the sense of just this man was just riding his bike. And these, 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 these kids are acting intentional, and that's, that's right in line with murder. I would seek the max. I would as, as a prosecutor. And then if, if a jury is going to give them less, so be it. Then the people of the county can give them the, the, those two left. But, but I, I, that just shows a lack. I, I can't say for sure. I mean, that defense counsel I mean, should really be having strong conversations with them. I mean, I would be, I, it, I'd be hard for me to represent someone like that because you're making a defense lawyer's job very difficult, not to mention just disrespecting human life, which, which you don't have to get to that level to defend someone. So. Yeah, I agree. That that's where the the max is in there. I mean, there's there's a max for a reason, and and even though someone would argue that they have no priors, I mean, and I mean, so you want your kid, you want your family member, but on the other side of somebody who has no priors that acts that intentional and is that disrespectful, mm-hmm. that's when you have situations in courtrooms yeah. where people jump barriers and go after people. Yeah. To your point earlier. Yeah. And where the justice system is not trusted, and that's unfortunate. We can't have a society where you can't trust the justice system. Attorney and former Bear, Bear County uh, DA Nico LaHood with us. Uh, Nico, great to have you. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Have a great evening. And we found the new future, Mrs. Jack Riccardi, Don Cooper. This, uh, this woman named Natasha Hausdorf, I guess is how you say it. She's an international uh, law expert and lawyer, what they call over there a barrister. She's being interviewed by the BBC, and they were asking her kind of snootily, about what Israel can do to Hamas legally. And Natasha Hostorf just takes this woman apart. Cut number two. Well, let me pick up, if I may, on those points in turn. In compliance with its obligations under international law to minimize civilian casualties, Israel is issuing warnings of where it will be striking Hamas terrorist infrastructure. It's a practice used by all law-abiding countries. It is telling them to leave in order to try to save their lives. And, of course, there has also been mass evacuation of Israeli civilians from the north and south of Israel, away from the borders with terrorist organizations. But there is another myth here, that Israel has an obligation to supply Hamas terrorists with electricity and other goods, and that is without basis in international law. Israel is not required to fund 
or assist Hamas war efforts as it attempts to butcher Jews. Uh, and of course, since Hamas violently seized control in 2007, Israel has continued to provide a part of uh, Gaza's fuel, uh, electricity, water, uh, and also medical care to Palestinian civilians that Hamas neglects and abuses. That isn't viable during a military campaign where Hamas exploits these transfers, stealing supplies and penetrating humanitarian organizations to mask its terror uh, operations and to launder funds. And Hamas uses the electricity grid in Gaza to continue to fire missiles onto Israeli civilians. That firing has continued in the course of the last hour and, and your broadcasts. And of course, some of these rockets from Gaza uh, fall short, as we saw with the Al-Ali hospital car park. Uh, in the case of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, um, a third of the rockets fired in the last exchange of theirs fell short, killing many Gazan civilians. Uh, but I must stress in relation to your question, there is no requirement to provide resources. International law only requires that Israel facilitate the passage of food and medicine by third parties if such goods can be reliably delivered without diversion to Hamas. And we know that is not the case mm. because Hamas controls Gaza. And in fact, the basic rules outlined by the Geneva and the Hague Conventions are, are, are that sieges are lawful unless they are deliberately aimed at starving the local See, population. I, I didn't know that. I, I, why don't we hear that on our news? Um, part of me wants to put Natasha Hostorf on CNN and The View, and part of me wants to protect CNN and The View from the beatdown that Natasha Hostorf would give them. I mean, the, the, the BBC reporter was trying to basically say, doesn't Israel have to take care of these people uh, and uh, not cut off electricity and water? And she's like, nope, uh, that's, not, that's not how it works. Um, and the woman persisted, and, and Natasha Hostorf again tells her, you're way off base about uh, what kind of humanitarian aid is owed here. Uh, this is cut number three. If these aid organizations are um, invested in uh, the interests of Gazan civilians, then they should devote their resources to facilitating the safe and rapid evacuation of Gazan civilian population to the south, which Hamas has been uh, seeking to hamper with reports of it bombing fleeing civilians. But the allegation that you have uh, raised, I'm Katya, is a, a reprehensible moral equivalence reprehensible. Um, and it is being drawn uh, it is utterly morally repugnant uh, it also attaches of course to the suggestion of, of proportionality in international law uh, that that is um, about comparing casualty figures and, and that is also not correct um, every strike that uh, israel takes every military action is weighed up it is analyzed to make sure that according to international law, the anticipated collateral damage, the harm to civilians, is proportionate to the military aims of a strike, a strike that is militarily necess necessary uh, and legitimately targets terrorist infrastructure. So these uh, suggestions of collective punishment um, are morally reprehensible liable. Um, I would say uh, that this BBC reporter is a casualty at this point. I I think we need to get a. I think we need to get a humanitarian organization in there to extract this BBC reporter from this interview because uh, that was a beatdown. That was severe, savage beatdown. Uh, tell me what you think. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I don't know if you heard this or not. We learned last night that actor Richard Roundtree had died. Richard Roundtree was the star of Shaft, and Shaft is one of those movies that when you watch it, you realize no one else could have, could have played that role. 
the role of the private eye, John Shaft. Just talking about Shaft. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there are act. There's there's great actors. There's great movies. And then there are actors who just own a role, who just, you know, crush it. And no one else can live up to it. I know there's been a remake of Shaft. There was a remake like three or four years ago. But you can't, right? I mean, Richard Roundtree is that character. He was 81 years old. We're going to talk about him and about actors who crushed the role so hard, no one else could ever live up to it. Who would you say fits into that category? Actor Richard Roundtree has died. He was 81. He had a long career in the movies, but his most famous role by far was in the 1971 action thriller Shaft, in which he portrayed Detective John Shaft. And um, a lot of things get said about this movie, like, you know, first black action hero and classic of the black exploitation genre and all that. But I got to tell you, the thing that brings me back to that movie over and over and over again is I just love a great detective movie. I just love this kind of movie. And I just think it's a great example of it. I mean, to me, I'm not interested in like the historical significance of it. I'm not a movie scholar or what have you, filmographer. Uh, they're not going to hire me for TCM. But I... Um, it, this movie never, never lets you down, and it has held up incredibly uh, well. And um, it's an example of an actor who just is crushing the role. I mean, I, I, I know they remade it. I think Samuel L. Jackson remade it. it. It is just not possible for anybody else to be John Shaft, other than Richard Roundtree, rest in peace. And also, when an actor makes a movie like this, it, it eclipses everything else that he does. Like, I was reading the obituary today, and it mentions all these other movies. There were, Of course, there was a whole series of Shaft movies, none of them, none of them as good as, you know, the original, in my, in my opinion. Maybe you disagree. Um, but, I mean, it, it, this is just it. I mean, this is, this is what you, you want to remember. This is what you will remember. And it happens, right? Sometimes an actor just owns a role so totally that no one else can do it. Even if other people do remake it or uh, play the same character. I mean, I think a lot of people would probably say, correct me if I'm wrong, that, yeah, there have been a lot of James Bonds, but come on, Sean Connery is James Bond. I mean, he, he, he crushed it. Everybody else is playing second place, right, or coming in competing for second place to Sean Connery. Who is an actor or and a role where the actor just completely owned the role so much that no one can live up to it. No one else, you can't see anyone else in that movie, in that role. Name the actor, name the role. 210-599-5555. A movie you think an actor or actress just completely crushed it, owned it. And whether it's been remade or not, doesn't matter. 210 599 55, 55, like you can't, here's one I think that we would we would all agree on. Marlon Brando, The Godfather. It it can't be anybody else. I know they, they considered other people and there were all these other people, but I mean, in the end, it's, it's him, right? And that's to me the ultimate tribute. I mean, you can give out Academy Awards and Golden Globes and this, that, and the other, and Library of Congress, National Register of Historic... 
I, all I know is if you turn in a performance so definitive and indelible that no one wants to even go near it, that that's the ultimate achievement, right, of an actor. You just you put your mark on it. Marlon Brando, right? Sean Connery. Uh, another one that comes to mind would be, I would say, Anthony Hopkins, Silence of the Lambs, right? You know, Dr. Lecter. Not going to remake that with somebody else, right? 210-599-5555. All right. Which actor, which role crushed it, your opinion? 210-599-5555. We'll take those calls along the way. We'll uh, continue to take your votes in today's JR poll. We'll have the results on the poll coming up at the end of this hour. Uh, Richard Roundtree was is is being paid tribute by uh, a great many uh, uh, other uh, people uh, and people in the uh, in the business, getting a lot of reaction, a lot of love on uh, Twitter, and um, a lot of praise for that movie. I, I I I think I think if you if you think about it, like that kind of movie wouldn't still be with us. They wouldn't still be showing movies like like Shaft, except that it's so good. And I, I remember the first time I watched it, which was long after it came out, because I was just a little kid. But I remember the first time I watched it, um, it's one of those movies you just forget he's even acting. Like, you just think that's him. <laughs> just no, that, that, That's, to me, I love when I lose myself in a movie or a role or a, I, I can't see the acting anymore. I can't see the script anymore or hear it anymore. It's just, this, this, he is that guy. This is actually happening. All right, let me start with um, Paul on the radio on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I think Harrison Ford has done a great job over the years. Uh, one of the first movies I saw as a five-year-old in 77 was Star Wars. And that made my eyes wide open. Yeah. Him. And then yeah. they they have tried to replace him with one other Star Wars movie just a few years ago, and it, it blew out. And like it, it never made it anywhere. And then they've had a few guys try to replace him as Jack Ryan, mm. you know. And mm-hmm. again, I haven't seen anything where it was really all that palatable. I agree. They have a TV show, no, with it. And I, it just yeah. doesn't interest me. Anything that guy has played, uh, he's always seemed to put his heart in a role. I mean, we have all the Indiana Jones movies. You know, you're right. Now that I think about it, every it isn't just one movie with Harrison Ford. He kind of no. he kind of marks it up in a way. Everything he does, you he kind of he kind of ruins it for anybody else to come after, right? Terrible, terrible. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a good observation, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, I would yeah. say. I mean, I would first think of probably Star Wars, but yeah, because I'm not as I'm not as into the Indiana Jones movies. I mean, I respect them and all, but I, it's, it's I'm not really into them, but. But yeah, I have to say he 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 does it with that. He 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 does it with Jack Ryan, the the Tom Clancy movies. He even does it with Air Force One, you know. Harrison Ford. All right. 210-599-5555. You can also email me jack at ktsa.com. Uh Greg says, "How about Al Pacino in Scarface?" Yeah. I mean, come on, right? Who else is going to Say hello to my little friend. Worst impression ever. Uh, Charles is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Hi, Charles. 
How are you doing today, Jack? Thank you for taking my phone call. Always a pleasure. Um, I'm going to say Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther as Inspector Clouseau, yes. but I would also like to point out Inspector Dreyfus. I don't know what his name was, but he came out in one other movie with Christopher Walken. It was, I, I can't remember whether it were. I, I can't remember what the. Uh, you talking about the guy that was uh, Clouseau's boss? Yeah, the one that was obsessed with him. Yeah, words, yeah. He, he, his name was Herbert Lum, and he he was a very good character actor. He was in a lot of things, and I enjoyed oh, him I a lot. Think. I'm glad you mentioned him because he's almost as funny to watch him just come apart. You know, with his obsession <laughs> over over Clouseau is really a lot of fun. I've had bosses like that. <laughs> oh man, you you and me, but that could be a whole another show, Charles. That's All right, very good. Peter Sellers in Inspector Clouseau, the Pink Panther movies. What's an actor who crushed the role so hard no one else could ever do it or live up to it? 210-599-5555. Matt is on the radio. Hi, Matt. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, first off, i got to agree with the whole Harrison Ford uh, multiple roles part. But uh, yeah. I, was watching, I was watching TV, and I saw a trailer for a new like Willy Wonka prequel and I was thinking no man nobody can outdo Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka oh man you're right so good so good in that movie uh a movie that movie was so far ahead of its time I mean was it like early 70s I mean that's just unbelievable how good that is yeah and I they tried to have somebody uh do a remake it was the guy who plays uh Jack Sparrow uh, what's his name Johnny Depp yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it wasn't that good. It, it, you know what? It was it was okay if you weren't thinking of Gene Wilder, but boy, if you compared it to Gene Wilder, it didn't it didn't really stack up. I mean, he's a, he's a totally yeah. different guy. But yeah, no, I think I think you're right on there with that one, Matt. Thank you. So Gene Wilder in the original Willy Wonka movie as Willy Wonka, absolutely two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, Jenna says John Travolta in Saturday Night Live. Um, had another one here. I just lost it. Oh, uh, Cheryl says Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Yeah, I mean, who else, right? Rest in peace, Richard Roundtree, who was so incredible in Shaft. Do we have a little of that to play, Don? Let's hear a little from the 1971 Richard Roundtree classic, Shaft. You got a minute, Shaft? Got no use for no dirty postcards, Vic. Get off my back, huh? I just want to talk to you. Call me up. You know my number. Come on, now, I'll buy you a cup of coffee, huh? You gonna sit in the park a minute? Hell no. Just tell me what you gotta say right here. Uh, Tom, why don't you go get us a couple of cigars? The time you smoke, Shaft. Just say what you gotta say, big, huh? Get us a couple of Hell Garcios, I huh, Tom? Look, I'm late. What you trying to lay on me, huh? Just love, Shaft. Got nothing but love and sympathy. <laughs> then we're even. Well, they're soul brothers. I gotta tell you, I I need to um I just need to I I relate to the entire world, uh, the way he's relating to uh, the police lieutenant right there. So, 
<laughs> I need to get that down. I need to learn that. Uh, great scene from that movie. Two ten five. You know what else is is great about that movie? Uh, off the subject a little bit here. When you watch that movie, you see the old New York. That that all of that is gone. Everything in that movie is gone. Um, it's it's the old. Not all of it is great. I mean, it was a dirty, broken city, but it was the old New York. It wasn't the new, disnified uh, Times Square New York. It's it's the old New York. All right, so we're asking you, not this is not who's your favorite actor or anything like that. This is more like, what's a role that an actor played so definitively, just made his or her own so well, that no one else could ever do it, even if someone else did do it. Like, there were other people that played James Bond after Sean Connery, but but no one could do it like Sean Connery. So who's who's an actor, who's a role? Totally crushed it. 210-599-5555. I've got two here for uh, Robin Williams. Mark says, uh, email Mark says, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. And on Facebook Messenger, James says, Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. I have to agree with both of those. Um, DeWitt is next on the radio. Hi, DeWitt. Hello. Heard, heard some good choices tonight. Yeah. Which, but, what, which uh, one would you uh, Which one would you say is an actor who just crushed the role? George C. Scott is Patton. Hmm. Yeah, like you can't imagine anyone else playing that, right? Not no, no, not no way. I mean, he was so good in that movie. He was so good in that movie that when you see a photograph of the actual General Patton, you think, oh, they made a mistake. That's 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 not him. He doesn't look like that. I mean, that's how he took it over. It was a real person, and George C. Scott completely took it over. Very good, DeWitt. Thank you. Uh, Danny is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Hi, Danny. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? So I'm going to go with uh, Matt. I'm doing good. I'm going to go with Matthew McConaughey in uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't prepared really to like him as much as I did in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like real, it was real good, I think. I think Not he showed so he really, he's a serious actor. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Um, let's see. Mike, email jack at ktsa.com. Bogart in Casablanca. Uh, John writes in to jack at ktsa.com. Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. I would agree with that. You, know, you, you don't even think you're watching an actor. You, you really you lose yourself in that uh, depiction. 210-599-5555. An actor who crushed it so hard no one else could ever play the role again. And Kelly is on the radio. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Hi, Jack. First off, Jack, I love you. I love your show, and I love you. Thank you. So does my husband. Thank you, so Kelly. I need the love, so thank you. Okay, you got it. Uh, Vivian Lee, Scarlett O'Hare, Gone with the Wind. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah. She, she was a woman. She was selfish. She was unapologetically <laughs> herself. <laughs> unapologetically herself. Yeah. And yeah. You got to love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't have the term back then, but I guess we would now refer to her as a hot mess. Ooh, that's perfect. I love right? that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, Jack. Vivian so, Lee, Scarlett O'Hara. You don't have any of that going on. You don't have any uh, Scarlett uh, vibes going on, do you, Kelly? Can you not hear it, Jack? Well, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm asking. I, you know, a little bit. But it's all good. It's all in good. All, all only in the best way. All right. Thank you, Kelly. Good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Uh, Jim is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA. Hi, Jim. Okay, no Jim. Oh, there he is. Hi, Jim. Yeah, one of the actors I thought was um, in uh, the. Was Did it slip your mind? Uh, no, it was. Um, okay. Because <laughs> I would have put him if, if he had just told me it slipped his mind, I would have put him on hold. We could have come back to him. Uh, that happens. I know that happens sometimes. You get on hold and you forget what you were going to say when it's your turn. Just tell me that and we can come back to you. Uh, 210 599 5555. Mary says, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah, I was just. Funny, I was just thinking about that yesterday, not in this relation to this question. Um, something reminded me of that movie, and uh, Nicholson is a guy that, I guess you could say like Harrison Ford, he, he does that with a lot of roles. He, he marks them up so that it's hard to see anybody else. Um, here's a good one. Uh, Gary says, James Gandolfini in The Sopranos. I wasn't a huge watcher of The Sopranos, but any time I've ever seen an episode, I, I have to agree, he is... He is brilliant in that uh, in that role. And, you know, the other thing that happens, when an actor crushes a role really hard, not only is it impossible for that actor to then, you know, for other actors to then play that role, but sometimes it's impossible for you to see the actor anywhere else or in anything else. Uh, you know, I guess that that's the, the, the flip side of it, is that you are always and only that person. So when Richard Roundtree would show up in other things, I'm sure people were, like, elbowing each other, like, isn't that Shaft? You know, just couldn't help it. Uh, Carlos is on the radio. Hi, Carlos. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. Uh, uh, Al Pacino, Scarface, Tony Montana, classic. Nothing yeah. beats Tony Montana. I can't see yeah. Al Pacino without seeing Tony Montana. <laughs> I totally agree. He, he, is just, he is just tearing it up in that role. He's just ripping it up. So Very many. good, Carlos. Thank you. Uh, John is on the radio. John, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, not quite the classic that I'm hearing other people say, but I don't think anyone else can be Forrest Gump except Tom, Tom Hanks. Mm. Yep, yep. No, he definitely he made that his own. And fortunately for Tom Hanks, he didn't become, you know, that, that didn't become like type uh, typecasting for him where nobody else could do yeah. it, right? Uh, thank you yeah. for that one. That's a good one. Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks. What's that? About 30 years ago now, right? It's hard to believe. That was like 94, wasn't it? 94, 95, something like that. 210 599 Oh, this is... Okay, this is a good one. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of this one. Um, what about Val Kilmer in Tombstone? That's the one with the line, I'll be your huckleberry. Yeah. I mean, Val Kilmer's maybe not in the category of uh, Al Pacino or Harrison Ford, but yeah, I mean, in that role in that movie, which is a great movie, um, yeah, I mean, it's, he he totally makes that work. Uh, Lafon is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA. Hi, Lafon. Hey, Jack. 
Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer. Oh, you're right. Nobody could play that part but Kiefer. I got to admit, when they put him in that role, I wasn't sure that would work. I couldn't, I couldn't see that at first, but the first time I watched him, he he did it. Mm Hmm. And I agree about Val Kilmer and as Doc Holliday. That is my favorite line from that movie. (laughs) It's so good, right? It is. Absolutely. All right. Good taste, Lafon. Appreciate it. Uh, You know, I'm a big, big time Twenty Four fan. So yeah, I'm with her on Jack Bauer, Kiefer Sutherland. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. You know, I can't believe none of no, none of you have mentioned, because we can, we can have some comedies in here, too. Can we not all agree? Can we not all agree? Can I get an amen? Randy Quaid, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Cousin Eddie, right? Got to have him. I mean, I know it's a Chevy Chase movie. Chevy Chase makes it a classic. But Randy Quaid is every single family has a cousin Eddie. Uh, Andrew is on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Jack. You you just said nobody called in with a comedy. We haven't had many comedies. <laughs> well, yeah. The 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 world's greatest comedy movie ever, Airplane. Leslie Nielsen <laughs> as Doctor Rumack. <laughs> no one else could have done that. Oh, I love it. I love the, um, what is the line where, uh, uh, what's her name asks, uh, she, he says something about, we got to get this, this woman to a hospital. Right. We've got to get this man to a hospital. Man to a hospital. hospital. What is it? Yeah. It's what a large it? building with lots of people. <laughs> right what? That line works for me every time. I will never get tired of laughing at that. Leslie Nielsen, an airplane, and and yeah, he's another guy. Really, he put his mark on a lot of things. The the you know the police movies and stuff. You yep. you can't imagine anybody else in those roles. Very good, Andrew. Thank you. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Let's grab a couple more here. Um, Tom is on the Jack Riccardi show. Hi, Tom. Hey, yo, Adrian. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, Rocky yeah. Balboa. Yeah, how did we not mention that sooner? Yeah, you're right. You're hey, and right. I have to say, once you mention the comedies, I love Step Brothers. So Will Ferrell and the other fella, that's just a hoot. Step Brothers. Oh, uh, yeah. What is that guy's name? John Riley? Is it John Riley, this other guy? I believe so, yeah. That, that's yeah. a good one. So got All me right. Very but good. Yeah, good choices, Stallone. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Sly Stallone and Rocky. All the Rockies. half hour we'll have the results on our jr poll powered by river city oral surgery and what got us started uh in our little uh quest this hour was the news about the death of actor richard roundtree uh the star of 1971's shaft the probably the most famous television miniseries in the history of miniseries i don't even think is a thing anymore right but for a while there the miniseries was its own like art form, and Roots was the television miniseries, the event. Uh, back when there were fewer channels and people, you know, a, a very popular show was kind of like a universal experience. I mean, I remember that as a kid. I mean, everybody, everybody talking about Roots. 
He was one of the stars of that. Richard Roundtree, though, really crushed the role of John Shaft in the movie Shaft so much that you couldn't imagine anybody else. And so who's an actor or actress uh, with a movie role or TV role where they just absolutely owned it, it, played it so well, so definitively, that you cannot see anybody else or no one else, no matter how talented, can even come close. 210-599-5555, or you can email me, jack at ktsa.com. Uh, Andrea says Richard Gere in Pretty Woman. Uh, Andy says John Travolta in Greece. And um, let's see, Jack is on the radio. Hi, Jack. Hi. Humphrey hey, Bogart and Casablanca. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. I mean, can't imagine anybody else. There were so many other big stars at that time, but nobody else could have been Rick Blaine, right? No. Maybe. Very good. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Uh, let's see. Dan is on the radio. Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jack. Hey, uh, I got two comedies for you. Okay. John Belushi in Animal mm-hmm. House. Mm. And Bill Murray in Caddyshack. <laughs> You're so right about that. You two are classics. so Yeah. They cannot be, you put anybody in there, they could not even come close to those two yeah. characters that those that those two played. I'll, I'll agree with you, and I'll also say, I don't think you could remake either one of those now anyway, right? No, no. I mean, and the it, thing about it is, it, it, they're classics that those two actors defined themselves in those roles. Amen. Well said. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Celeste is on the radio on KTSA. I love that name, Celeste. That's a beautiful name. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you, and thank you for that compliment. For the small screen, may I suggest uh, James Arness's Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke, and for the big screen, uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Mm, yeah. I can't, how have when, we not mentioned you her mentioned, yet? Great. And when you mentioned uh, ser- TV series, I, I'm sorry, I hadn't even considered, but I was thinking that the top cast of Lonesome Dove, especially for Texans that might be anyway just yeah, wanted to yeah. thank you for for doing this this is a great the James Arness uh, choice is a great choice i grew up watching that and and i really thought he was that that guy you know i, Matt Dillon, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't think it was an actor i thought we were watching the the real thing so very good Celeste. thank you um an actor who crushed it no one else could play the role uh 210 599 5555 it's funny how often people are mentioning the same names like Travolta's come up a couple of times. Al Pacino uh, has come up a couple of times. In fact, I got an email from uh, Renee who says uh, she thinks it's Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. Uh, How about Matthew Broderick in Ferris Bueller? I mean, I know that's not like a classic work of art movie, but but it's it's, it's one of the prototypical 80s movies, and it's a fun, light, just enjoyable, you know, kill a couple hours kind of movie. And he's so good in it, and he's so perfect for it, like right at that moment in his life. He just is that guy. Um, it's definitely one I can watch over and over again. Uh, Tom is on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I think the ultimate one would be Gary Borgoff because he played Radar in the movie MASH and also the TV series MASH. Oh, very interesting. Okay. Well, you know, you don't think of, when you think of MASH, that Radar is not the character you think of most prominently or first, but you're right. In that in that role, he is just perfect. He has the look. He has the voice. He's perfect for it. 
Yeah, when he left his TV show, I'm sure that America just cried. Yeah, yeah. Now that the final episode of Mash was a big, big, another big happening. Uh, everybody watched. Everybody tuned in. Thank you, Tom. Um, Brad says Jimmy Stewart, and it's a wonderful life. Yeah, there's no, there's no way, right? You can't see that with anybody else or anything else. Uh, Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, Natalie says Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Now, I'll agree with that, but I will also say that the flip side of that is anytime Leonard Nimoy is in anything else, you're like, where, what's, why doesn't his ears, what's going on with this? You know, like I saw him in an old Perry Mason, which was way before Star Trek. And I don't know what he was doing because all I could look at was his ears. He had normal ears. Like, what's, what's going on here? The world was off its axis. 210-599-5555. Gennaro is uh, making a rare outside Friday phone call. Talk about the world being off its axis. It throws me when you call and it's not a Friday. Dude, I can't believe you just mentioned Spock, man. Well, am I wrong? I'm not wrong, though, right? No, 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 no. I'm the same way. I look at the news. Um, Christopher Reeves, Superman, oh, yeah, the motion yeah. picture, yeah. and I actually saw that in the theater in nineteen early eighty something. Hmm. Now I don't like to do spoilers. You and Rima do spoilers. I don't like to do that. What does that mean? We do spoilers. And, uh, I don't know what that means. I do spoilers. You give the last little remnants of the movies. Anyway, we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into that. Anyway, the thing is, the cool thing is, man, that first Superman movie, the best part is when everything ends and he looks at the camera and he salutes you and he says goodbye. Okay, you like that. It's the Fareve, man. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's impressive. I think that's a good choice, and I think it's impressive when an actor is not the first person to play a role, and he was not the first person by any means to depict Superman, when you can say, even though I saw other people before him or her, his was the best, I think that's even more impressive. So, like, extra points for that. Um, I didn't know I was doing spoilers. I'll try not to do that. 210-599-5555. Adrian is on the radio. Hi, Adrian. Hey, Jack. How's it going? Uh, for me, it was uh, growing up in the 70s was William Shatner. He will always be uh, Captain Kirk, you know, and to piggyback off of anymore, I mean, he did make a movie that was, I think, the invasion of the body snatchers that he was in. So, but, but uh, William Shatner, uh, in spite of being Canadian, will always be, uh, you know, Captain Kirk, you know, he went on to play T.J. Hooker, and I think I think right. Boston Legal. Right. He's he's done I think Christmas Records where he talks. He's done uh, goodness. Uh, I think he's on TV now. Uh, something with like aliens, uh, aliens, you know, civilization, whatever. But he will always forever be known as as Captain Kirk. So, and my my favorite Great. series was was when was when Spock kills him. You know, that was one of my 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 best ones ever. You know, as far as the series and. It, it turns out, uh, spoiler alert, that you know Spock didn't kill Captain Kirk. You know, so when, when Spock goes not, back to his home yeah. home planet, you know, so. But yeah, yeah, William Shatner is will, 
you know, will always be, you know, one of my favorite actors that just owned it. So very good. Yeah. Adrian, thank you. I like it. Uh, William Shatner crushed Kirk. Question on today's JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Are you a yes or a no on candy corn? I am a fan. I like candy corn. I have never really understood. Well, I, I think I'm beginning to understand why it gets such a beating. Because there are people that hate it. Hate it. And I can never really understand why. <laughs> I mean, it does taste a little bit like you're eating a candle, right? Or it has like the texture of a can. I've never eaten a candle, but I think it would be probably similar to eating candy corn. But I, I think what it is is that it really is like no other candy. When you... When you think of candy, when you prep your mouth, your taste buds for candy, it is not, no other candy is like candy corn. And so for some people, it's probably just gross or like, I think it's the mouthfeel thing. Don't you think, Don? I mean, like, that's possibly, that's what turns people off. It's like, uh, this doesn't seem right. Without candy corn, you, you, you can't create uh, vampire teeth. Mm. <laughs> Unless you have them naturally. Exactly. I like the variety pack, the one with the pumpkins that's included. I forgot about in that. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are good. Yeah. Yeah, look at you, money bags, buying the deluxe <laughs> the deluxe candy corn. I'm buying the Hill Country Fair candy corn. But anyway, um I, I do, I like it. Um I, here's the other thing about candy corn though. It's it's for adults. Like don't do do not give out candy corn on Halloween. Don't do that. That's like giving it's like giving notepads on Halloween, you know. You don't it's for grown ups and it's not for everyone, so Give the kids stuff you know they'll love. Um, we asked you, though, are you a yes or no? 68% said yes. We got a lot of candy corn love out there, and 32% said no. We'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow. We get started live at 4, or you can find the JR poll anytime at ktsa.com. And don't forget, you can find this show as a podcast and listen to it whenever you want on your schedule. Uh, a lot of people I'm finding still don't know that, but... It's becoming a very popular way to listen. People say, I, I catch up at night, I catch up on the weekends, I listen to all five shows over the weekend. You can do that, too. Uh, all of our episodes are at ktsa.com on the on-demand page, or you can find the Jack Riccardi Show wherever you like to get your other podcasts. Uh, so let's see. We've been talking about the actor who crushed it so hard, no one else could play the role. Daryl has one for us on KTSA. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Jack. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, Peter Falk, Columbo. Yes. Yeah. Of course. I can't believe we didn't think of that sooner. It was perfect. Yeah. Very good choice. (laughs) I can't even, in fact, I can't even see Peter Falk when I see him in other things where he's playing some other character. I still want him to be Columbo. Well, not anymore because he's no longer with us, but... Uh, yeah, definitely a classic role, classic TV. Thanks to everybody that called on that. And incidentally, if you did not get through something else we do that not everybody knows about, uh, and you should do this right now, if you were trying to get through with a with an actor, call the Jack Chat line. That's 210-599-5550-5550, all right? And it's kind of like leaving a voice message. You leave your first name, your city or town, state is optional, and then you can just leave your comment. In this case, you can leave your actor and movie role uh, or anything you want to comment on. It's always open. It's there for people who are listening to the live show as well as people listening to the podcast. It's the Jack Chat line. We're going to play some of those tomorrow. So leave me a message now. Hit it up tonight, 210-599-5550. 
on the Jack Chat line. And have a great night. Thank you for listening, and see you back here live tomorrow on the radio at 4.